This is episode 432 of The Ziggler Show, and we have a guest today who can help you recreate your career today without leaving where you're currently at. I struggle with saying that a bit as it could sound a bit gimmicky. Trust me, it's not. It's literal. And I've honestly only heard one other person say something in a similar way. And that was Seth Godin, who interestingly gave a review that is raving for this guy, our guest today for his book saying, this is what Seth said. We're all self-employed. This book is a whack of the truth on the side of your career. Here's a quick excerpt from what you're about to hear today. The punchline is we're empowered. We're empowered in ways we haven't believed. I I was empowered. I had no idea my career was actually in my control. I had no idea my future, like the best hope for my future was, I talk about in the book of hiring myself for the role of the director of happiness and success, that I'm actually CEO of My Life, Inc. So I invite you, come and dive down the rabbit hole with us. You're what you are and where you are because of what's gone into your mind. You can change what you are. You can change where you are by changing what goes into your mind. You cannot become what you need to be by remaining what you are. If you can't take a huge step to begin with, take as big a step as you can, but take it now. That's the key. Take it now. You can have everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. Today's a brand new day, and it's yours. This episode of The Ziggler Show is brought to you by Harry's Razors. The Razors, Ziggler CEO Tom Ziggler and I use every morning. Harry's is so confident in the quality of their blades, they'll send you their popular free trial set, which comes with a razor, five-blade cartridge, and shaving gel. Free when you sign up for a shave plan. Just pay the shipping. Plus, there's a special offer for fans of the show. Get a bottle of Harry's post-shave balm added to your order for free when you visit harrys.com and use the code Ziggler. Hey, everyone. I'm Kevin Miller, your host of The Ziggler Show. I brought you folks like Seth Godin and Dave Ramsey and Chris Gillibo and Andy Andrews, scores of Big name celebrities and authors and presenters, not because they are celebrities such as that, but because they have Ziggler inspiration to offer. They've grappled with it. They've striven for it. They've lived it. Today, I bring you another guy who's in the midst of his legacy building. He says, I started an accidental sales career in 1994. Zig's material was a part of our sales training. I had the privilege of seeing Zig speak live a handful of times. I always walked away feeling empowered that I could actually chart a new course for my future. He says, my, my favorite quote from Zig is, you can have success, you just need to help enough other people be successful. Um, but that part, part, what he says right there, that I could actually chart a course for my future, that is the focal point of today's show. My guest is Aaron McHugh. He is a real human. He's had trials that mirror or possibly surpass yours, a child dying, a career life that tried to kill his soul, making lots of money and it feeling irrelevant. He was you, he was me, but he wouldn't accept it. He can't accept it today. He's striving and struggling. And folks, he's come upon some profound understandings that he is 
avidly uh, giving to us today. And I want you to hear them. Zig would want you to hear them. So Aaron McHugh, his book is titled Fire Your Boss, a manifesto to rethink uh, how you think about work. He has a blog and a podcast that you can find in iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you're looking called Work Life Play. Highly encourage you to tune into that. Go find it now. Aaron says, I help people recover balance. I deconstruct the art of making adjustments in your approach, your thinking, your beliefs and habits. The rewards are doing work you love and living your life with more joy, connection and adventure. In work, I've covered the spectrum from ringing in the opening day trading bell at the London Stock Exchange to humble beginnings of selling office supplies door to door. Now you can find Aaron and his devotion and your benefit at Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, McHugh, M-C-H-U-G-H dot com. And please, again, go to iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts and search for Work Life Play Podcast. Uh, if you like the Ziggler show, you will love that show. But folks, before we dive in, let me, Kevin, your host, the guy that Zig Ziggler and Tom Ziggler uh, reached out to lead this show. Let me just entreat you. I know Aaron personally. A couple years ago, we went with a group of 30 or so guys on an epic mountain bike ride over 60 miles through Colorado Springs, some of their best trails. At the end, he and I were the last ones at the front. And just not, not even competing so much. It's just exhilarating in life and glory and God's blessings and uh, this is a significant guy. Uh, and the cool thing, too, we just got to go to lunch together, had some great sushi and discussion, then walked over here to my studio, and we recorded what you are going to hear right now. Here we go. So, Aaron, my brother, uh, I've been blessed to sit with so many world changers, uh, truly incredible people, and their, their glory is not diminished at all by the reality that there's some of them I don't really care to hang out with. Uh, I would, uh, you're, you're not that, though, and it's a gift as we've just had lunch together and been hanging out uh, together. But thank you for bringing your insight and your inspiration and this story to the Ziegler audience. Yeah, Kevin, this is really, really cool. Well, I... Uh, I am inspired and excited. So I'm going to begin. You uh, actually, you begin uh, a story for us, if you would. So I'm going to put you on the spot here to think about. Once upon a time, I was a guy who blank, and now I come to you in a different form. What would that statement look like? Interesting. Yeah. Once upon a time, I my my first job. I was selling radio advertising door to door, like door knocking, you know, trying to get some local, you know, restaurant owner or, uh-huh. or liquor store to buy 60 second advertising on a local radio station. Wow. And today I'm the guy who is sitting in a podcast studio talking, um, uh, irony is, uh, Zig Ziglar was, when I was doing radio advertising 20 years ago, he was, he was one of our trainers that we listened to a lot of his material. So it's a really fun full circle that I would be here on mm-hmm. the Ziegler podcast when he was an early uh, mentor of mine of such. Likewise, yeah. likewise, we sit together in that. Well, man, you start off this book, page one, the intro defining uh, a her- what a heretic is. Uh, heretic, 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 heretic. Thank yeah, heretic, you. Yeah. Heretic. You said a person holding an opinion at odds with what is generally accepted. 
Uh, and in thinking about that, Aaron, I would say that in a lot of ways, the majority of the Ziggler listeners listening to this right now would, if being really honest, they'd have to admit that they are, in, in many ways, they are heretics. Uh, the show focus itself of inspiration and encouragement and faith and believing in more, I think, is is a beacon of hope in a lost world. It is, it is as you said, it differs with the a general opinion that's held yeah. by where we live. I mean, it, it is at odds with the culture, but it's one thing to think and relate to heresy and another to stop uh, and step forward in our lives in it. I mean, it's scary. It often causes relational pain. It can make you feel alone to not go with the flow. So before we pawn you off as just superhuman though, which you might be knowing you, have you always lived a heretical life so different from the norm of this culture well that's a that's a fun opener excuse me i think kevin what i've always had was i've always had observations that would turn around in my head i would like observe something happening in life and then i would just kind of wonder like well what's that or why is it that way I've always been a, when I was a kid in high school, I was the kid who always asked why. Mm-hmm. I struggled a lot in math class because I, I wanted to understand, and yet I didn't know how to articulate at the time my discontent with, I just need to understand the context. Yeah. Why are we doing this? Or how does it, why does it matter? Or why is this the only way? So I would say that, yes, I've always had this, what I can now describe is heretical bent, but it's only heretical if you're if you're outside a crowd. If you're with other heretics, which is basically people who are also willing to question and wonder, who are curious, who are pressing in, and who are also willing to go alone and go alone and try something new mm-hmm. that is contrary to whatever the norm is. Yes, I've always had a bent that way. Okay, so a bent that way. And so, as I said before, thinking, I bet a lot of our listeners are going to resonate with that. But then in the actual actions and living out of your lifestyle, well, to be frank, in your book, you talk about that that was part of the issue is even with those thoughts, you weren't necessarily living differently. You were living uh, the norm. Conformist. Okay. Yeah, I was a conformist. Okay. And that was where... In the course of the book, as I tell the stories about my career, what what I began to name was that I had these core beliefs about who I am, how the world works, um, what life should be about, how work should be designed, and then I had the practicalities of how I was actually living it out every day. And that that dissonance, that disconnect just eroded something in me. It ate away at me over years and years and years uh-huh. until I just couldn't deal with those two polar opposites anymore. And I had to do something about it, which in a fear, a few mere moments, I'm going to dig into that. Cause just you, what you said right there, you at a very intimate level wrote in the book and I'm going to pull some of those yeah. out. So, right. but as we get there and, and get folks into the, the, to the journey here that we're about to go on your overriding theme and the title of your growing podcast that folks, as I said, in the intro, you got to go right now, subscribe to work life play define just give a a quick layman's term definition of what you mean by work-life play what i mean is 
after five years of doing a podcast and writing a blog, I can now say what I focus on is trying to help people recover balance in their life. And that's through habits, that's through thinking, that's through heretical, let's try something different. And what I find is work-life play is a really good summary of all of it. Hmm. And in that is health and relationships and physical health and spiritual health. But we spend so much of our time at work and we spend so much of our time in life and relationships. And then I find that a lot of us don't do a lot of play mm-hmm. and I want to recapture and, and invite myself and I'm inviting others in as of my findings of learning to play again, which I think creates a better balance, holistic curious, interesting, adventurous life we actually want to live. And I got to admit that you, and especially in recent years, uh, are, you know, this time that I've known you and even seen you grow in that have been an inspiration for that part. Because when I look at work and life, I think a lot of times I would tend to put mission and, and even, you know, passion and calling in there and not play. Mm -hmm. And it's taken me a while to realize that and to realize that that's not my default but I'm missing out. So you, well, that's why you're here today. Yeah. Um, so here's an overarching question just to help frame uh, the audience, frame you. Do you define, would you define, and actually when I wrote this, I had to sit there and think, that's a great question for myself. So I'm, I'm asking myself the same question. I, do you define your trajectory now, where you are now, what your endeavor is, your purpose, what you're devoting yourself to primarily now in this, in this bent as passion, mm. burden, Calling, addiction, comedy, tragedy. <laughs> there you go. Where would you th- those say that? And I and I say that, and I'll give you my frame of reference. That sometimes I look specifically at those word of passion and burden, and I think there are some things that I would say, "Oh man, I'm passionate about." There's some other things. It, it comes to me as a burden. It really does. And calling can sometimes feel different. And so when you look at this this book you've written, this podcast you're doing, the blogs you're you're doing, this adventure, this endeavor, I'm going to call it endeavor though. Where does it seem to fall in there? Not that it has to be one, but again, passion, burden, calling, and I'm playing a little bit, but there's some reality and addiction, comedy, tragedy. Oh yeah. Yeah. Before Aaron answers that Tom Ziegler, myself, uh, my primary business partner and close friend wake up every morning with gratitude for a proud supporter of today's episode, Harry's Razors. They make an exceptional product at less cost than their competitors. And to be honest, they exemplify an image that we all relate to. Quality, authenticity, ingenuity. Well, Harry's has recently upgraded their razors once again, but the price stayed the same. Businesses don't usually do that. Harry's five-blade razors, the one I used this morning that gives me an ultra-close shave that my wife's a huge fan of, now include a softer flex hinge for a more comfortable glide, a trimmer blade for hard-to-reach places, a lubricating strip, and textured handle for more control when it's wet. But it's still just 2 bucks per blade compared to $4 or more that you'll pay at a store. How can they do that? By owning the factory in Germany where they make the blades, Harry's can produce those high-quality razors themselves and sell them online for half the price, shipped directly to your doorstep. So Harry's is so confident in the quality of their blades and your satisfaction that they'll send you their popular free trial set, which comes with a razor, 
five-blade cartridge and shaving gel free when you sign up for a shave plan. Just pay the shipping. Plus, there's a special offer for fans of the show. Get a bottle of Harry's Post-Shave Balm added to your order for free when you visit harrys.com, H-A-R-R-Y-S.com, and use the code Ziggler. Again, that's harrys.com. Use the code Ziggler. Well, it, it, the honest answer is it, it, it is all, all of those, but I'll give you a couple feedback pieces is, you know, where, where it's uh passion is, I just firmly, deeply believe that we have an opportunity in life to make it, to make it matter to us and to others. And that I want my life to count. I want it to to be meaningful. I want, I want it to be meaningful to me and I want it to be meaningful to other people because I, I think that we have a chance and an opportunity and an invitation and all this latitude of just white space before us that we get to alter for good. So I just always felt like, man, can you believe now I've had lots of rough spouts where that passion light was pretty dim. Mm. So in that way, I, I can say, you know, some of it was born out of tragedy. Some of it was born out of hardship and mm. just things that didn't go as I had desired. And so I've had to spend a lot of time thinking about and evaluating this path of what I call my wife and I describe as the path of go down when your life doesn't turn out the way you hope or wish Do you go down the path of bitter mm-hmm. or do you go down the path of better? And, and that's been a hard fork in the road at times. So this work-life play, these, this endeavor is about that fork in the road. And, you know, the addiction, I, uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm a highly uh, motivated, <laughs> highly caffeinated individual. That sounds better than addicted. Yeah, right? Yeah. But yeah, it's, I, when, I, when I love something, like, I'm fierce about it. I, yeah. I go for it. And um, you and I share a lot of those same things in athletics and what we can bite off. And I, I love it. So this is another one of those things for me of it's a competition in some ways with myself of like, yeah. can I, yeah. can I do this? And so now five years later, I have a lot more you know evidence and proof that I can yeah. than when I first started. But yeah, it's been, it's all of those. Okay. Something you said right at the beginning of that, and you talked about it mattering to us, mattering to others. I mean, the first thought that popped into my mind is can something we do, can it truly matter, give value to others? If it doesn't matter to us, I mean, it's a chick. I don't think it's a chicken or the egg. Can I do something? If it doesn't matter to me, how can it matter to someone else? That feels like a maybe a foundational point of what you you're writing about in the book. Yeah, and I, and I, what I what I'm doing in the book related to career, so taking those mm-hmm. work life play topics and really taking a microscope into work and career and how we think about work and offering some alternatives to think about work. It's an intention to go down what what a friend of mine's calls below the iceberg. So you have the tip of the iceberg, the part you can see above, above the waterline, but to get to the below the waterline. And and as you think of these three categories is there's this big, small piece of the iceberg you can see above. That's oftentimes our behavior. And below the iceberg, you know, the first section, kind of the, the big section that's hidden underneath is often about our, um, our beliefs 
And then further down at the tip, furthest deep is our motive. And so what I attempt to do in Fire Your Boss, the book, is walk through. Like, let's look at our behavior in our career. And then let's look at our beliefs. Where do they come from? What are they about? How did we get here? Where did we originally start? And then, like, let's get to our motive. What am I really, why am I doing this? And then it helps because then you can start, as you do here on the podcast, is you can help plot a new course. Mm -hmm. When you get to the bottom of what are my motives and my beliefs to start reshaping those to then set a new course, which then behaviors, I think, oftentimes are the outflow of that. Uh, and, you know, and, and your, your book, folks, again, go get the book, go to Amazon, get fire, your fire, your boss. It was a very, uh, the term I want to use is visceral read. It, it's a, it's an emotional read your writing style. Even the, the format of it is, uh, I like that word, uh, visceral because I yeah. can, I can feel it. It yeah. was not a, uh, there's some books, some of my favorite books are not that, mm. But it is a different book, and it will incite some emotion. So, folks, I just give that to you. Go find out for yourself. Get the book. In writing your book, in hosting your podcast, Work, Life, Play, and speaking to large groups, which I know you do, um, I love to ask people about their target market with a, kind of a rough example of being, okay, if you're going to get up on stage, talk to a 1,000 people. Uh, but you've only got 10 minutes. It's a finite amount of time. And afterwards you only get to work with a small group, let's say 10 for again, a short period of time. You don't have time to mess around with trying to get people to understand who just don't get it. Mm. So you're going to speak directly to that person you resonate with most. I love looking at that perspective as a target market. So when you, with this book, with this podcast, who would you say, who is that person? Give us a, a, a little description of who that target person is. Yeah. I just traded texts with him last night, so I won't mention okay. his name. Um, but but the, the target person that I want to interact with and speak to and hopefully offer some alternatives for change is the person that that's let's just say you know in in, in their thirties, thirties and beyond is into their career has been at yeah. it for 10, 10 plus years that has experienced some measure of success and advancement and satisfaction and, you know, doing some things they like, but are finding themselves with a family, finding mm -hmm. themselves in marriage, finding themselves with the, the, the a, a mortgage or two, a, or the mortgage three. or yeah. two and braces. And like, I would just say like kind of the crux of, whoa, this is really cool. I'm here, but I didn't know it would look like this. And so then in that, oftentimes you end up in a place of lots of responsibility of at work. So this guy I was trading text with, you know, high rise Manhattan and lots of responsibility, lots of influence and board meetings and all these career successes. But the challenge is with that is a cost. Mm -hmm. And I think what happens is that we end up, I ended up being like this friend of mine where you just find out like, whoa, how'd I get here? And then do I want, is this what I really want? So then if I were to spend time with them 10 minutes after, what I attempt to do is just begin to reframe things like, have you actually plotted the trajectory of your career? The CEO of Visa just stepped down this week. Big, huge announcement. And he stepped down to spend time with his family. He said, there's no other story going on but this. I just plain and simply want to be with my people. His family lives on the East Coast. He lived on the West Coast, and he was taking a plane back and forth every week. Mm. He 
tapped out. He tapped the buzzer. That's the guy I want to talk to. Okay. And not to, not to get you to tap the buzzer, but to get you to evaluate and, and name, is this, is this good? Is this what you like? Where's the balance? Where are you off? What adjustments can you make? And how can you get this in a lane in what I call sustainability? What does sustainable rhythms in your career, in your life, in your work, your play look like so you can keep doing it? Versus a lot of times, guys like me and you and others, we end up finding ourselves in some place of crisis. Uh Maybe emotional, spiritual, physical health we talked about. So what I want to do is attempt to help people before that or after, man, a full-blown crisis, things have blown up. Where do I start rebuilding from here? And that's where I can help somebody 10 minutes after. Well, and when you talk, well, first off, when you talk about that as an example, what I was thinking about last night as I was, I was thinking, thinking through this uh, interview today is I see that, I understand that personally, uh, being in that place. And whether somebody's making 50 grand or 500 grand, I don't see the trappings that much different. Uh, maybe one can afford a, a nicer car, but the lifestyle. So for those, cause we've got those demographics right here. We've got people listening right now who are going to make 500 grand or more, uh, 50 grand or less. And yet their lifestyle and these struggles look very similar. When you say sustainable, um, the, the term that came to my mind was what I want. I do. I want it sustainable. Yes. I want it fruitful. Um, because as you and I have talked about at length, we can, we can endure, we can, is it sustainable? Well, I could probably tough it out, but is it the fruit that I want? Yeah, that's true. Man, I want, I want, and as I'm listening to you and thinking about my own reevaluations, I is it going to bear fruit is how, and not just from a biblical context, but I love that, that, uh, and that's, I'm, I'm there, man. I'm there. Even as I talk about, I'm, I feel a little overwhelmed with opportunity. Yeah. Right now, uh, if I sit down, is it going to bear, if I make this decision, is it going to bear fruit? And even in that aspect that I talked about, and we've talked about here on the Ziggler show a lot about looking at the good that sometimes we need to give up for the great. So is it going to, is it going to bear fruit? This decision? Yes. Is it going to bear as much as this? If I give myself space for that. And those are, that's the questions we don't ask. That's why we're here. Yeah. Um, I want to take a quick moment to thank Salesforce for their support of today's Ziggler show. If you do marketing in your business, hopefully you realize that mass mails and general ad campaigns are not so effective anymore. Salesforce is here to help create a new path with your marketing and deliver the unique brand experiences your customers want. With Salesforce, marketers open doors between business units by sharing data to collaborate across marketing, sales, service, and commerce. Be smarter and more predictive with your marketing by making recommendations using collaborative data and solve concerns with service integration. Engage your customers on any device and channel in real time, from social media to your connected products, gathering key insights into your customer and business relationships at every stage. Adjust your campaigns as you go to drive leads and pipeline. Do all this and more while collecting data from every interaction to build a complete view of every customer and manage your marketing strategy from your desk or your phone. Be a customer trailblazer. Discover one connected platform for one connected customer experience with Salesforce, the customer success platform. Learn more at salesforce.com slash Ziggler. That's salesforce.com slash Ziggler. And in that very definition, that that carve out you just mentioned is 
I like to talk a lot about and initiate the topic about margin in life. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that what's, a, what's so beautiful about what's in front of us, um, and, and especially those of us living in the Western world, and you have international audience, but the Western world, the opportunities are endless, mm-hmm. right? There, it's really and truly, if you, if you lean in, you can do just about anything you can imagine. And the challenge with that, though, is I just talked to a, a guy last week, and he said, I'm the guy who's paralyzed by a thousand great ideas. Mm-hmm. And so what I want to do is I want to begin to just offer, my, my friend calls them um, handholds and on-ramps, like practical specifically. Hey, grab this handhold. Mm-hmm. So take margin. What if in margin, in, in a work career environment, for 20 years, I never took a break. I, I'm not a smoker, so I don't I have smoke breaks. I ate at my lunch or didn't eat at all. Well, that wasn't very sustainable if, if I just carry that forward for my, my next 40 years of work. Mm-hmm. So I started realizing like I could probably like get up and go outside and take a walk. I could start introducing rest. I could just catch my breath between phone calls. I could start doing carve-outs of margin mm-hmm. so that I can just have my senses about me like you, I can endure a lot and can go a long way. But I found that that wasn't very fruitful because then I was living in such a depleted state in my work and in my relationships and my friendships and, you know, things I wanted to do personally that I wasn't getting very great fruit. So I began to these micro adjustments of even just beginning to carve out tiny moments to catch your breath all margin. Those are the things that I like to try and offer to people through my podcast writings and blogs. I, and as we somewhat methodically work through the book and I hit highlights, yeah, we would be here for a couple hours if I hit every, every aspect of that. But I, I did folks to get in there and read, uh, I think it's at the beginning of the book where you talk about the value, the culminative uh, effect of little Little investments here and there. And yeah. cause I'm, I, I, it, it hit me because I tend to, oh my gosh. Yeah. I've got, I, I have eight minutes before anything. I don't have time to do anything. And you're saying, no, go run for eight minutes. Yeah. Cause over time you, that was, we all need to hear that. But okay. So in the book, fire your boss, you say the manifesto is for those who, and dot, 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 and you list five things. Number two is the one I'm going to jump on here where you said it's for, it's for those who feel confident that your career is too important to approach with apathy. That's a strong word for me, apathy. And so my question is, can that reality even exist unless we believe that our very selves, our very lives are too important to approach with apathy? So if we look at career, can we even address it without realizing from a bigger standpoint that we're not willing to live our lives apathetically? My experience, Kevin, has been that most people are not apathetic at all. Most people, when you, when you go back to the beginning and, and you and I talked about this, how I tell the story in the book about Jerry Maguire and his, mm-hmm. the, the movie and his crux moment in his hotel room doing headstands and he's rethinking his career and he, and he writes this manifesto of the, the things we think, but do not say mm-hmm. the future of our business. And you know, the, the great part about that scene is that Jerry goes back to the origins of why he, he started as a sports agent. And the reason he started was because he loved the game. 
and he loved the smell of the field. And he had this great mentor who told him these, you know, invitation stories of, you know, in, out, do, do what, do what you love and the money will follow or whatever it specifically was. So I find that's true for most people. Most people in their career started with like a great story. They were going to do something cool. They were going to go into journalism. They were going to write stories or they were going to go be a school teacher. And they were going to, so in the, in the beginning, our careers weren't fueled by apathy. I think what happens is this powerful thing called self-preservation enters the scene in our careers. Mm -hmm. And what begins to happen is we do have commitments and kids and cars and commutes and college tuitions and mortgages. And so then what happens is that passionate part of us that was going to make a difference, that was going to have a dent in the world, that was going to do something that we were stoked about when it was all, you know, all the, all the road was in front of us and we're just driving the, you know, like we do drive in the West, it's endless road, anywhere you want to point your car. Well, then the challenge is when self-preservation enters the scene, that's when I think the apathy begins to slowly, it's a sinister thing. It leaks in and we just begin to just kind of tolerate or good enough or resign or put up with or fill in the blank. And that just may be in subtle ways. It doesn't have to mean that your career isn't a great career or your company isn't a great company. It's just that it's worth one of those things to be mindful of, of where is the voice of self-preservation entering into my narrative in my career? It's subduing or muting or altering what I have to give if I was really being honest of, is this what I intended when I intended my career? And I think what you just laid out there, I would... I would bet anything that you just touched about 99% of everyone listening who can resonate with that on some level to some degree right now, some of them incredibly tragically acutely, some of them, there's some good things, but they know, and that's why they're here because they're looking for more. And okay. So you brought up self-preservation because you must be reading my notes because that's, that's exactly where I, uh, well, so I want you, I want you to read directly from your book, page 10, as I hold it right here, the, uh, the circled part ending with that statement and, um, uh, yeah, and it's funny, folks. Our talking thus far has gotten us through page ten. I, I'm not going to keep you here three hours. Go, you're going to have to go get the book. But there's some some pieces that, uh, uh, yeah, I could have written the whole show. I think just from that, but I was trying to get through. Again, go to Amazon, buy "Fire Your Boss" from Aaron <laughs> McHugh. But page ten, if you would take the the area I circled there and read it to us. Yeah, let's start with what you think and believe. The battleground for our thinking is the first place to drive a stake in the ground. If we believe that our boss, our factory, our pension, or our biggest customers are only hope for a prosperous tomorrow, then we will do anything to protect those eggs in that loan basket. Self-preservation is the powerful voice that convinces us to resign our will, silence our opinions, mute our creativity, and stifle our passions in exchange for safety and predictability. The more we feel like victims who are subject to the whims of the company or the policies of leadership, the more we feel like slaves to our mortgage payment, and the more we shrink back and keep signing an unwritten contract of compliance. Two pivotal choices will always remain. How will we choose to respond to this tension between self-preservation and being our true selves? 
Okay, that right there, that last statement, how we will choose to respond to this tension between self-preservation and being true to ourselves. Man, do I, I mean, that feels like a sticking point. It feels like a, a massive crux for all of us in this culture that we live in, this day, this age, that right there is gigantic, that tension. So my question though, an admitted soapbox here, and actually I want to first make a call out to uh, our, our friend, you know him too, Gary Barkalo, author of the book, It's Your Call, um, and who I'm going to have on the show at some point. But he has my favorite commentary on being true to ourselves in the form of trusting the true desires, and this comes from a biblical standpoint, but the true desires uh, of our hearts as unto God, not the desire for a donut uh, in the morning, <laughs> yeah. but the desire to, to love and care and have calling and have purpose and to do something worthy and to leave a legacy and, and those types of things, uh, however they may be, to, but to trust that desire in our hearts, the desire to influence the, the world and others for good, uh, to pursue a calling that will be the hardest work we may have ever done. It probably will be, but to um, his, his talk on that has always impacted me. So back to your tension is there not a debate somewhat in asking, isn't being true to ourselves the best bet for true, ultimate self-preservation? Not our true self, not false, mediocre self, but for the fullness of who we're going to be, it's got to be wrapped up in being true to ourselves? Absolutely. And in the book, you know, I, I turn the book a manifesto for the reason you mentioned earlier of that kind of like that, the, the drumbeat, that visceral drumbeat of you. This it's a download in terms of uh, an alternative way to think. As so, this heretical invitation, and you know whatever it is in an hour and a half, you can cruise through this thing. It's not you know three hundred pages. And and what I advocate for in this beginning here, we're setting up the story of self preservation is the problem. Um, the problem isn't our company or a boss or our career problem is these things entered in and i fully believe that the best plan for our career is us offering our authentic self of us being fully engaged uh tom rath i think you know and he love he talks about fully charged mm -hmm. like the best plan for the best investment the best ROI, return on investment, the best forecast, everything for the future in our career, I believe is predicated based on how much we're living wholeheartedly, mm -hmm. wholeheartedly in, in whatever that means to you. For me, that means I know what I'm here to do. I know what I'm in, you know, what, what I'm good at. I know what I want to invest in. I know what I want my my work mode to look like. I know what the kind of work I want to be a part of. I know the kind of team I want to work with and all those things when they start lining up, which has taken me a decade and a half to get a lot of those to line up, that that then begins to yield going back to what you said earlier, fruit mm -hmm. and a fruit and harvest and sustainability and all these things. None of that happened overnight for me. It's been a 15 year journey, but I can say now because of this journey, starting with naming where things were going wrong, I'm in a much better trajectory now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So we're going to continue here. Page 15. I want you, well, here you go. I'm going to hand it back to you, man. Page 15 is a short segment. Read that to us. And folks, listen to this. 
Aaron is going to do a profound read for us after I recognize and thank Cabbage for their support of today's show. That's Cabbage with a K. As a business owner, sometimes you must have access to capital to grow, but getting that capital can be a difficult task. That's where Cabbage comes in. Cabbage provides simple, flexible access to a line of credit up to $100,000. You can access your line from a phone or computer. You'll get a decision in minutes and can start using your funds immediately. There are no fees to set up your line and you only pay for what you take. Cabbage has helped 80,000 businesses with over $2 billion in funding. So go to Cabbage. Again, that's K-A-B-B-A-G-E dot com slash business today and get a $50 gift card when you qualify. Again, cabbage with a K, K-A-B-B-A-G-E dot com slash business. Yeah. The things we think but do not say. We've been told this, get a good paying job, work hard, rest very little, play it safe, dreams are for the youthful, buy as big a house as the bank will allow, save money in your 401k, and retire at 65 as a millionaire and travel the world eating caviar. Okay. So big, you can take a drink of water. Cause I, I got to say a couple of things. It's a big, that's a huge deal right there, Aaron, as I have devoted my life's work for the most part thus far. And, and I think will for the entirety of my life on here on planet earth, striving to um, accept the, the truth and majesty of life and not just go with the flow. I'm ever more aware that the greatest battle seems to be against just that the flow I mean, we more than ever, we want to trust. I think we are such trust and we desire that it's our heart desires. My heart feels better trusting instead of distrusting. I mean, I, I live my life that way, but it's dangerous if I'm going to trust the FDA that says that food is, is okay. No, it's not. It's killing people, but I, I want to trust. And we just, that's nature. And I find myself as much as I think that I am a, a rebel, a maverick that I am, I'm outside the norm. If you look at my life, I'm amazed at how similar my house looks than everybody else. Why do I, I, I have a microwave. I have a toaster. I have a, we have all the same things. I have an iPhone. I mean, my life looks very similar. Now I'm grateful that there is some dramatic fruit, especially relationally that looks, you know, that looks different uh, in that. But I know that I am still a product of this culture and I every day have to step back if I want health, if I want fruit and say, why am I doing this? And, and I, again, I don't, it doesn't feel good to be untrusting, but well, to the, uh, from a biblical standpoint, you know, the aspect of being in this world, but we are called to not be of it. And there's a lot of doctrine in, uh, in that. So here I got, I got something for you and I can't, we're on movies. You talked about Jerry Maguire, which I, I think we both own. Another favorite of mine is, is matrix and reading the book. It brought me back to, and then looking at this, uh, Again, what you just listed out, those bullet points of those things that we just accept as not only normal, but responsible. So you'll know, I bet you'll know this, this, uh, in, in matrix cipher. Okay. Who's right at the beginning of the movie. And he says, if I had to choose between reality and the matrix, I'd choose the matrix, which folks, if you haven't seen it, that's the make believe world. Watch. Trinity says the matrix isn't real. And he says, I disagree, Trinity. I think that the matrix can be more real in this world. Of course, he's bitter at this point, but it's just a second later, uh, as he's meeting with the bad agents and he says, you know, and he's, he's in the restaurant. If you remember the scene, I do. I know the steak doesn't exist. 
I know that when I put it in my mouth, the matrix is telling me my brain, telling my brain that it is juicy and it is delicious. And after nine years, you know what I realize? Ignorance is bliss. That slays me. You just laid out a reality that we are not only supposed to, in the norm of our culture, pursue, but what burdens me, and I want you just to give me your thoughts on it, is that if we, if 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 we uh, brave to go against it, to jeopardize it, we are often called irresponsible, foolish, heretics. Yeah, I, that's a hard road to hoe, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, hand me the book. I want to. Yep. I want to read the yep. the the, uh, the the next piece. Here okay, because I think it answers it specifically. So we've been told that these things, the things of the matrix, will make us happy. I think it's a lie, or at least a dis- distortion of the truth, which is what we're naming here. Right. Instead, what if our objectives look something like this? Do work that we passionately believe in. Work with people we want to work with and work for. Save money every month, but don't count on your 401k to be enough to send you into early retirement as a millionaire. Don't wait until our retirement years to enjoy our life, to take lots of time off of work to rest and play, to invest in relationships with our family and our friends, to measure wealth by our experiences and not by the stuff we buy, and to pursue our dreams and adventures. So in, in my mind, like, what if, what if, what if we didn't prescribe to the advertised set of here's how, here's what life of happiness looks like. Mm-hmm. And I think there's just so much in the way of studies these wor- in, in our modern world today that is proving time and time and time again that more money and more work and more power and more stuff doesn't yield happiness. So if that's the case, then I want to say, okay, well then if that doesn't work, and I can say this from personal experience, as you and I talked over lunch a couple of weeks ago, and you know, I made the, you know, the executive vice president level of, you know, publicly traded software company, and I made the many zeros in the back end of my W two paycheck every year, and and I started as a kid on food stamps. So I, I've, I've covered a spectrum of seeing what, what this path, these paths can look like. I've had the big houses and the mortgage and the country clubs and, and, and I wasn't any happier. In fact, I was more stressed out. I, I was coming home to a lawn that needed cut. So I had to start paying somebody to cut mm-hmm. my lawn because I was gone so much on airplanes. Well, then I figured out that my lawn cost me you know, a third, you know, 25% of my first year salary when I started working mm-hmm. just to keep a green, like, like, what am I doing? This is insane. So to step back a little bit from our career and from our life and just start asking some questions. It doesn't mean there's something fundamentally wrong. It just means that they're worth asking questions of because there's a lot of energy and effort in the world to try and convince us of things that, that are not necessarily wholly true. And I don't want to end up being cynic mm-hmm. like Cypher in the Matrix movie you just mentioned. I want to be fully alive and fully present, but I want to do it and find a way that's sustainable for me, which produces the fruit in my work, my career, my life, my play, my relationships that I think I want to be proud of. Okay. I want to, I want to ask you on something you just laid out there because I think we can often 
hear stories from people who have had a significant amount of success, especially in work. And I'm going to say money. Yes. You've made a lot of money. Yes. Okay. So now you come back just like the guy who left visa and he's going to go back to family. Okay. But I want you to give some commentary to the people who are listening, who are not making a dramatic amount. Well, you know, and it's, it's, it's hard to put a number on that because people have different, uh, economies, but whether somebody's making $50,000 or a hundred thousand dollars or 150, it's not a dramatic amount of money. I mean, globally it is here in America, at least it's not even $30,000, you know, somebody there, um, I know you enough to say, to know you're not discounting that uh, you're not, you're not painting in a negative picture. Somebody who makes a lot of money. No, not at all. That's not the point. It's not a call for everybody to go and lives on, live on beans and rice and play all day. <laughs> no, no. Okay. Well, but speak to it. Cause I know yeah, people speak. hear those sure. through those filters and go, okay, well, I'm just supposed to be a pauper and that's the yeah. value. Yeah. Let's talk about money. I think it, okay. it's a money and work. They go together. Right. For, for me, I believe that there, there is it, in, in, let's just say the Western world, the United States, there is a number, and there's a bunch of studies on this as well. That you know, let's just call it sixty to seventy-five thousand dollars a year, where you know when your car breaks down, you can get it fixed. You've got health insurance. You're you're making you have a, a nice enough place to live. You you can buy your kids clothes for school. You 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 have like the your the basics of what you need taken care of, and that's expensive. And then maybe that in some communities that's thirty-five thousand dollars a year. But there's a number that you're able to provide for yourself at. And that number, what they've done studies on is that as you increase that number in five and 10 and $25,000 increments, that, that your responsibilities and your stuff increases, but your joy and happiness and stress and things do not. So the irony about money is you can buy time or you can buy temporary bouts of happiness. You can buy a really nice steak dinner. You can buy a holiday away. So there are some temporary, like a, just call them medications that money allow for. Um, the challenge I think is, is that I, I actually think making money is great. What I've learned is that there for each of us is a, is a, is a definition that we have to come up with of what is it that we need individually to, for our life, for where we live, for the kind of work that we do for the, and there's choices, there's byproducts. If you decide that you want to be a school teacher and that's your life's passion and calling, well, then there's a subsequent set of realities that come with that, that there will be some challenges related to your earn, total earning potential. Right. And that's just, that's okay. But that means that you have to, what I call architect your life in such a way that it accommodates those primary choices. So if you've decided that being a teacher is really important, then that means you're going to have to architect the rest of your life to be shaped around that primary decision you made, which is if you make 45 grand a year or 30 grand a year because you're a teacher, you might be living in an apartment or you might be living with some roommates or you, so there's just these byproducts. Well, the same is true when you're an executive, of some, you know, big company. If you've decided that's important work to you, and they, I have to accept the realities of I just spent three days in Atlanta in hotel rooms this week. That's a, a byproduct of the choices that I have made that comes with this key decision that I made. It's this is the kind of work I want to do. Well, I don't always like what comes with it. 
What I have sat down to look at though, and I think this is common for the people that are listening that are on the high end of the income scale, is that there is a place where the money you earn begins to cost you more than you can afford. And I think for every person that's different. And you have to figure out, I believe, what do you want to pay for in trade? Now, in, are you going to trade relationship? We talked about at lunch, we're going to trade personal health. I'm trading, you know, in a minor level, but I've traded some health recently to do some work and some adventure and some relationship things. Well, I know I'm out of balance right now, I, but I know how to get back. I know what needs to happen to get yeah. adjusted. And I think what happens is in our careers, they can be like runaway freight trains and they're like bullet speed, speed bullet trains going 200 miles an hour that I don't know how to get off of and I don't know how to slow it down. And it just, I'm all of a sudden paying all these prices for the career that I have and I'm making all this money, but it's costing me in so many other ways that is not sustainable. I, 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 I can we spend an hour on that? Yeah. But uh, well, next show, because, yeah. okay. Yes. It's, I know everybody's resonating. So folks, this is an inspirational show. Forgive me one more reading out of the book because it's talking about the Jerry Maguire movie, you know, to so many things, the things that we don't say. I'm going to ask Aaron again, I, it might be the last time here to read out of this book. And this is a little, a little longer sec. Well, no, it's not too long because I feel like he's going to say right here, a reality that few of us unfortunately have not tasted. All right, this is page 26, I think. Yep, yep, yes. Read that and then, and then jump okay. over to the other. Great. So the section is, I was an indentured servant. I was thinking and behaving like a factory worker or an indentured servant. A primary driver behind my conformity was the financial pressure I felt to provide for my family. I remember one time when I was on the receiving end of a rant. <laughs> this is a good part. I like this. Mm-hmm from one of the monarchy's thugs thinking to myself, if I had three to six months of living expenses saved in the bank right now, I would walk. I didn't have a backup plan. I didn't have the prospect of a new job and I didn't have the financial strength to just walk away. My solution, I flipped a switch deep inside myself that enabled me to start shutting down emotionally. Survival became my only goal. I stopped taking risks. I st- stopped dreaming. I stopped offering my creativity. I even started coaching myself with survivalist talks like, I should be grateful for this. This is a great job. This is as good as it gets. In fact, I started training others around me to lower their expectations and simply accept their minion role in the monarchy. I thought my only retaliation was to stop offering my best self and let go of hope. Things will never change. I strapped myself with soulless conformity and began settling in for 40 years of hard labor. I became a replaceable cog in the machine. Dang. Wow. Right. That I'm sounds like, pretty I, good, huh? It's, yeah. It's sad. Again, it's folks. True. It's true and sad, but yes. We're getting to the inspiration here. I, yeah. I, 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 I swear, but you just took everybody's clothes off and exposed yeah, us all. I know. It's, and that's this thing of the motive, right? Like that's the place of soulless conformity of, we didn't, nobody wants that. And the irony is that in our careers, nobody wants that from us. Right. Well, it's, it's, yeah. it's that all these things end up colliding. And so in this case, I couldn't figure out a better plan because I couldn't figure out how to make a change. And I, in some ways I was too afraid to make a change. So my alternative was, as I call it, 40 years of hard labor. I'm just going to settle in, put this thing in a 
coasting gear and just try and find a way to survive this. And I just felt like, man, really? Is that what I'm going to do for the next 20 years? No, I can't. I got to find another way. And I don't know what that way is, but this can't be it. That's folks. It's page 27. Go go get the book, get the book because I'm, I'm pulling out stuff and I feel, I actually feel, um, I feel more incompetent than in most interviews because there's just, there's so many, there's so much meat here. Um, go get the book, but to what you just said, page 29. Okay. Part five in the book, you do start off saying our compliance is not our fault. Their fault. Their, oh, well, okay. Yeah. It's not yeah. their fault. It's yeah. right. It's not yeah. their fault. Sorry. Our yeah. compliance is not their fault. Um, yeah, to blame the boss, the company, the whatever. I, they're, they're, they jumped in a machine that's, <clears throat> that's going as well. Yeah. And um, I mean, again, in this relatively short book, I just can't do it justice. Go get it, folks. I'm giving you, I, this is a teaser show, I think, but you're getting some incredible meat. I do want to go again, page 49. Let me flip over here. Um, because this is, uh, this, this is where we get to the good part of, yeah, right. the, of hope and inspiration. Hope, hope folks. begins. Yes. Uh, so here I, I circled a point. I think it goes to the next page. It is okay, folks. Now, now listen to this. We're going to, we're going to give you some hope here. Okay. So here, yeah, right. here comes the hope learning to depend on myself during an annual review an employee told me once they really wanted to move to a new position, but I knew he had very little qualifications to be considered for that role. I suggested that he consider doing the job he wished he had in his spare time. I suggested that he could use his evenings and weekends to start doing specific projects that would benefit both him and the company. I gave him the opportunity to start doing some cool work that he was excited about. It also meant that the company would benefit as he provided value without increasing our payroll expense or pressure for the work to be perfect. Everyone could win on on this deal, but he chose to do nothing. In my experience, most people are not interested in actually changing their circumstances because it may cost them something. Though, because you're reading this and you're listening to this podcast, I assume you are not like most people. Start doing the job you wish you had. Start depending on yourself to guide and direct your future opportunities. And start taking ownership over your happiness and your success. Okay. So when you in that, well, a couple of things, we, I think it's a show, this is show four. I think it might be show 40, 431. Forgive me folks, if that's not it, but I think that's one where it was a, a Ziegler clip that we talked about and we discussed uh, price versus cost. So in this, you gave this guy an opportunity. There'd be a price to it. He would need to take some nights, some weekends, some extra effort. Uh, he wasn't willing to do that. What it cost him down the road is he did not get that opportunity and who knows where he is today. Um, but then also, and actually you say this, we're, we're about to, I'm about to jump, uh, and we're going to end on, uh, page 55 where it says learning to act like a pro. Cause when I, I, so I, I grew up in an entrepreneurial home. It's all I ever knew. I, I never knew a perspective other than coming at any, at work, at any endeavor, uh, other than from an owner's view. Uh, the two years of my life that I spent as a W2 employee, that's the only way that I saw it. I I did a great job. I got highly acclaimed for it. I, I rose quickly in it, but then it I it was going to contain me. It, there was not enough room in that in that in that specific you know position. But I hear you saying that we all have the opportunity right now to act like an owner, or in your terms, learning to act 
like a pro. And I think, did I circle another section here? Man, I have, dist- you're going to have to give me another book. That's good. Um, yeah, well, it's, that's just it. I, I'm going to part 11. So we end on learning to act like a pro. So let me just, let me just do that. When you say that you wrote that learning to act like a pro, just give us a synopsis. Here's where we may be in our work. Here's as the listeners are, are listening today. They've come in, they have high ideals. They are heretics uh, to a degree, but they have conformed, which we all do in our lives. And let's, let's just look at the workplace right now. You're saying you have an opportunity without you said, because you did, you said, fire your boss. You didn't say quit your job. Exactly right. Not that that may not be necessary for some, but you said fire your boss because today you can learn to act like a pro and you can wake up tomorrow morning and be different in, give us, give us a little overview. Well, the, the, the punchline yep. is we're empowered. We're empowered in ways we haven't believed. I, I was empowered. I had no idea. My career was actually in my control. I had no idea my future, like the best hope for my future was, I talk about in the book of hiring myself for the role of the director of happiness and success, that I'm actually CEO of My Life Inc. I had no idea. And so when I began to make those shifts and started thinking like, what I call them is narratives. What are the narratives uh-huh. we tell ourselves? Uh-huh. What are the narratives we live out of? What's the story I tell myself every morning when I get out of bed and my feet hit the floor? Do I tell myself a story of, man, this is going to go really well today? Or, oh my gosh, I hope it's not like yesterday. It, and so I, I find I live out of those. Well, I found a friend of mine taught me this principle of acting like a pro, what I call eight minutes at a time. And the principle is this. That wherever we are, the life we have right now, the relationships we have right now, the the work, the career we're in, the finances we have right now, and then there's this other place we envision would be better. I wish I could be over here. You know, X marks the spot where we are, and then Y marks the spot where we want to be. But there's a gap in between the two. And what I found was I was always spending so much time like daydreaming about how much better it will be over in this new fictitious place but I wasn't actually doing actionable steps to do anything about it to get there. I was just kind of wallowing in, well, here is where I am, and then I wish I was over here. And this friend of mine taught me this principle where he's a big triathlete in triathlons or swim, bike, and run. And he was telling me, I went for a run, and I said, man, all I got in the other day was like this 12-minute run. He goes, that's perfect. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, that's what the pros do. What, what do you mean? He goes, well, the pros, they can't always make their training schedules work either. They've got life and endorsements and people and they get sick and they got holidays and they have interruptions too, like we do. But what they do is they choose to go anyway. And he said, so, but let me tell you the story of what accumulated benefit of 12 minute runs at a time can accumulate to be. So he went on to tell me about basically about how for pros as a runner or as a triathlete, this adds up to hundreds of miles a year. So I ended up being on a business trip the following week and I had this little window of time and it was raining outside and I'd worked all day and put in this, you know, 14 hour day and went to dinner and whole thing. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to go anyway. And so I went up, went out, went for an eight minute run in the rain outside. It was Cleveland, Ohio. And I came back in and I wrote this blog and I thought, I'm going to, I'm going to be a pro. I'm going to become a pro eight minutes at a time. So the principle and the idea is closing the gap 
on the life, the work, the, the relationships, the health you wish you had by leveraging and using, maximizing every little sliver of margin you can find, every what feels like a breadcrumb. The beautiful part is that eight minutes at a time, it adds up. And that was the mystery he decoded for me is the cumulative benefit over our life and our work in a year and a month can equal transform us and be in a different place in those categories I mentioned. It, I, maybe that's your next book title. Yeah. Becoming a pro eight minutes, eight minutes at a time on. that I can do. I can do it too. <laughs> and it's like totally tangible for the listeners. Like, Pick something. What's the thing that feels like a breadcrumb? It's not a whole piece of bread. You just are waiting for... And what I go on to talk about is that we tell ourselves the pros have more time than us, less interruptions. Well, they don't. So, But what pros do is pros use what's available. Mm. And they mine the margins, the small, tiny places to group them together to make it something meaningful. And that's what I found is true in career. It's true in relationships. It's true in... You know, our health, you know, one, Tom Rath talks about micro choices of, you know, maintaining your energy and every time you make a choice and a vote on what you eat, that's, that's a cumulative benefit. That's Mm -hmm. a little bitty act like a pro. So I think these are things that really can make a difference in people's lives. And Aaron, the second time you've mentioned Tom Rath and folks, I don't remember what it is. If you scroll back down through the Ziegler shows, we interviewed him. Uh, it's been a while ago. I love him. He's great. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And we did it on that book fully charged. Now, most people who know him, his, uh, uh, um, strengths finder 2.0 was his, his book. A lot of you have done that. It's, uh, gets lumped in the yeah personality profile scenario, but Tom Rath, incredible guy that I do want to have back on here. Well, Hey, before we end though, I do want to pull out maybe my favorite part of the book. Are you ready? And it's, uh, it's, it's literally, it's, it's an unnumbered page, but it's the second piece of paper in the book, uh, under the dedication to your wife, Leith, where you wrote in your own, uh, with a pen, Kevin, let's keep going. And man, that's my favorite. I want that t-shirt. I want that mantra and that charge. And, uh, I, as I thought about it, this was last night. It may be the loftiest, most honorable charge better than Winston Churchill's never, never, ever, ever, ever give up. How much more encouraging lets you and I supporting and believing in each other keep going. So thank you, my friend. Thank you for giving your heart to, uh, to this audience, to this book and, uh, and to me. Thank you for your friendship. Yeah. Thank you. Let's keep going. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in to the Ziegler show where we get to inspire our true performance together. We'll talk with you in the next show. 